Hello, I'm Emily Austin, founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder. Our expectations have become harder and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with a stock answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, seems to be a mark of status. But when did that happen? Why has the goal become to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? My own experiences of the rhetoric around entrepreneurialism is that everyone's full of shit and no one actually tells the real story. This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed and honest insight into the reality of running a business from some of our favourite entrepreneurs. Another week, another podcast. And this week I'm joined by Dan Warren, who was the managing director of Deliveroo, an app you've probably heard of in the UK for many years. He was part of the business as it grew and in the lead up to the IPO, which obviously had mixed reviews. We talked a lot about growing and scaling businesses and what happens when you realise that the job that you're so invested in, that was your dream job, actually isn't going to work for you long term. He's now running an amazing company that he's just fundraised for and launched recently called Sessions, which takes a huge amount of learnings from his time with Will Shoe. Essentially, Sessions is a company that is helping to lower the barriers to entry and streamline the process for restaurants and more broadly the hospitality industry. I guess democratising the restaurant business, which has obviously taken a battering in the last three or four years. So definitely a really fascinating listen. He's got an amazing bank of knowledge and insights into the industry. So I hope you enjoy this one. To kick off, I'd love if you could just tell me a bit more about your business now, um, what it is and what problem you're solving. Yeah, absolutely. So my business is a business called Sessions. And the problem we're solving is we think, rightly or wrongly, that consumers want to see brands at an earlier stage in their life cycle that might be more authentic, that can offer them a bit more of a discovery experience. However, we feel that the market is is loaded against those brands coming through at the speed that we think the market needs. So if you think of the high street and you hear a lot of negative sentiment towards the high street dying, I think a lot of that comes from it not being suitably fast at adopting what consumers really want today when they go to the high street, which I would argue in retail, in grocery, in restaurants, whatever sector, if you're going to bother to go out, you want to see something that gives you more of an experience where you can discover something perhaps that you haven't seen previously, where when a product becomes more commoditized, it's very easy to access online. So when you've got that dichotomy, the market needs to change to suit the consumer need. And so the Sessions business model is designed to help those earlier stage restaurant concepts come through, both in helping them start their business, 
but then scale their business. And we do that in various different ways that I can come to. But it's it's quite a big problem to solve. It's, it's quite a hard business to, to start because it's almost too grandiose. Um, so we started with a, a food hall, which we felt was a good microcosm for allowing consumers a lot of choice and access to those early stage brands and allowing those brands to to start without perhaps requiring access to capital or having some of the challenges you might be faced with where you're a restaurant trying to start on the high street. But the, the next phase of the business's journey is how do you take that food hall? Um, and we have a food hall down in Brighton called Shelter Hall that's been quite successful so far despite the pandemic. Um, how can you take that experience and then distill it into something much more scalable? Um, so that's what we're in the process of doing now. We're looking to recreate that whole experience for consumers in a single kitchen. And if you can do that, then, then you can put that, that kitchen into lots of different traditional hospitality environments to make them far more dynamic. So let's say in a food hall, you have seven kitchens, seven brands, really interesting and innovative and experiential for the consumer. Well, what if you could take those seven brands, run them all from one kitchen and then plug them into a restaurant and still bring that experience to someone, but on a regular high street rather than requiring a massive, you know, 15,000 square foot site. That's the part of the challenge that we're now trying to solve, um, which we're starting by solving through a restaurant that we're launching in Islington next week. So that launches on Thursday. Um, it's a much smaller footprint and, hopefully can be just as engaging as a food hall. Can you talk a bit more about your experience before this business and how the idea for this actually came about? Yeah. So before this business, I was at a business called Deliveroo, which I'd imagine some of your listeners, most of your listeners might have heard of. Before that, I was at a business called Travel Zoo, which was a a media publication or they position themselves as that, perhaps more of a, a deal publication for the travel industry initially when I joined in 2009, um, which then went on to put together offers for restaurants and activities and spas and stuff like that, which I launched for them in the US in 2010. Um, so I did that out of Chicago and then moved around the country, so moved to LA, then New York, then San Francisco. Before then, meeting Will Shu, the founder of, of Deliveroo, um, and joining there in 2014 as, as the UK MD. Um, so in both of those companies, I was very lucky to experience I suppose first, what it is to try and find true product market fit. So in both cases, I joined early enough where the businesses weren't perhaps entirely proven. Um, certainly in the case of, of Travels, it was very early. I actually launched the product. So launched the, the restaurant product. We had the travel product, but not the restaurant one. So how you do that, how you build a minimum viable product, how you scale something in the earlier stages with somewhat limited risk in a super lean manner, which allows for taking decisions really quickly in a agile way. Um, and then once we felt we'd hit that product market fit, how you're 
already prepared for rapid scale and can go hyper-aggressive with it, as we did. We scaled to a couple of hundred people across North America to get that moving. Um, and then, as was the case with Travel Zoo, unfortunately, what happens when a, a space blows up for whatever reason, and the space we were in was had been led by Groupon, um, who at the time were the fastest growing company in history, and there was a lot of clamor around that business. And when the bubble began to burst on that, it obviously heavily impacted us too. And uh, there was a decent lesson in that around two things, I suppose. But one, always being prepared for the market to fall out at any given time and ensuring that your business has strong enough fundamentals and is resilient enough to withstand that. But then when that happens, have the personal resilience to be able to deal with it and dig in and and make the changes you need to make in a in a very human way. Um, and obviously, sometimes that might result in impacts on staff and stuff like that, which is really, really hard to deal with. And I suppose it was a lesson for me at Travel Zoo in you can grow, 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 grow. And it, sometimes you kind of forget that there is that impact on individuals. And it, you only really see it when you then have to maybe peel back that growth a little bit and you recognize that that can have some real implications. So that that was tough. But then Deliveroo really start to finish for me was was always in that hyper growth mode. Um, so I joined as the 12th employee. We were doing a, a few hundred orders a day in, in London, in central London. Um, and my job was to scale it across the rest of London and then across the UK and then our first international market into Ireland. Um, and uh, I learned there that the the beauty of Deliveroo is that it was somewhat complex, but ultimately it was a kind of linear business model that um, the purpose of which was always super clear to all of us which made decision-making reasonably easy. The complexity was was really just in the speed. I mean, it was it was nuts, the, the number of restaurants we were adding and the number of riders we had to add. So by the time I left after five years, we were maybe at about 40,000 restaurants in the UK alone. And, you know, that was most of the restaurant industry and then about the same on the rider side. So scaling to that, at the speed we were scaling, you hit a lot of of bottlenecks, um, which can be quite stressful to alleviate. Um, the, I suppose in a slightly more natural, organic business. So when I say that, I mean one that hasn't had a huge injection of capital from VCs. You, it's not, not as pronounced. It doesn't make it any less hard, perhaps, but you just don't hit these somewhat unnatural points where you're like, shit, I've got to solve for rider supply, quality control, labor model issues in the market, whatever it might be. There was there was a lot that would come to a head at any one given time that teaches you, I suppose, about planning continually that one step ahead, which in a business like that is really very hard to do because you're so consumed by the day-to-day. You know, you're working every hour to solve for an issue that's come up at lunchtime let alone actually thinking about, well, in three months, this is what the market might look like and this is therefore what you're going to need to build. And there was always this arbitrage between those two things, which was hard. But fortunately, 
we overcame some of that by bringing in some brilliant people into positions that perhaps were a little less challenged by the day-to-day and so they could get their head above water in order to solve for some of the challenges through technology which ultimately is what the business became I would suggest when I started it wasn't really a tech company of course it was positioned as a tech company but over time it became that because it had to become that but it was very manual and and very human orientated for for many years Um, and perhaps towards the end of my time was when we really started to automate more and more and facilitate tech across the whole business on the consumer side all the way through to riders and, and restaurants. Did you leave because you wanted to set up this business or did you leave and then in the time after you left come up with this concept? So I, I left because I wanted to set up the business. So the, the business was incorporated prior to, to leaving Deliveroo. Um, uh, but I I left, I'd suggest, not purely because I felt that this was the model and, and you know, the, I knew that that was the thing I wanted to do next. I think it was in part because I'd, I don't know, it's a funny thing to say, but I felt I kind of served my time a bit at Deliveroo. You know, five years is a long time in, in that kind of environment with the speed of growth. Um, and I was just ready. You know, I, I feel like a business with 50 employees is probably more me scaling it to a couple of thousand employees than a business of a couple of thousand employees then trying to take that next step. And, you know, it, it was full of some great people by the time I left, but I prefer to be at the cold face of things, being able to take decisions quickly and move at speed. And inevitably, when you get to that kind of size, the business environment is just a bit different. Um, no better, no worse, just different with perhaps a different set of people that can take it on that next part of the journey. Um, but I suppose why I was interested in this particular space and why it felt acute to me was that I worked across the restaurant industry with lots of different types of partners. So predominantly for me, I was working with the major, individually, I was working with the major chains um, while my team was working with lots of the independents. And I was hearing lots of challenges around some of those independents and, you know, the relative costs of, of being able to operate those businesses versus some of the bigger guys. And it just felt like, there was so much entrenched in the industry to support the status quo versus allow for the facilitation of some of these budding new entrepreneurs to come to market. And I felt like, you know, I'd done, I've been very fortunate to do very well out of Deliveroo and thought, okay, well, perhaps I can do something about that. I wasn't very sure about precisely how. um, And I'd seen successful food tools it looked like an attractive space it was interesting to me um so i set about trying to to find one and and my boss at deliveroo will was very supportive of of that even though i was still in my role you know we were always very open with each other on stuff and i actually named the company after a food hall site that i'd found that we funnily enough didn't end up taking um which is an interesting story but the name stuck and actually I think the name really works well with that record label for food thing strangely serendipitously um so anyway I I left at the point where I'd had 
a really good level of engagement with our primary initial investor in Bieber, who are the big hospitality investor, and, and they had committed to me that they would invest in the first food hall I found, So, but they would do so if I moved on and threw myself whole, whole, wholeheartedly at it, which is what I then did, um, which, you know, is nerve-wracking. I've got three kids and um, everything that comes with three kids and all the responsibility that um, – you know, you're always wondering whether you should be taking on in launching a new business. Is that appropriate when you've got a family? But, um, you know, I actually found it to be stressful in that I launched it during COVID. So I kind of moved from a business in Deliveroo that did extremely well during COVID to go and launch a business in hospitality, which was a market that was decimated by COVID. So in hindsight, that looks like a slightly strange decision, but obviously I couldn't predict uh, predicted what what would happen um but actually i've found the the quality of life and even the balance strangely to be better um i think maybe because in running my own thing i all of the poor decisions made are um of the at a strategic level are my decisions so even when they go wrong i kind of in a funny way get less frustrated by them um <laughs> where when you're working in another enterprise, you you can get, and we were discussing this before the, the interview started, but you can get a bit frustrated by the politics of how a business works, where perhaps when you're running one, you feel that a bit less acutely and, and therefore can focus on other things. So I've really enjoyed it. It's been a great three years now. Um, still way more challenges ahead, but... You know, if you enjoy going to work every day, then that makes everything that much easier. I want to ask you about resilience. Do you feel like those experiences that you've had have been integral to your ability to now take on a challenge at a time, you know, I always think it's much braver to start a business when you have than I have. I was 22, so I would have just been 24 and employable and have had a go. But when you've got mortgage, kids, house, etc., there's a there's a really there's sort of much more to tangibly lose. Have you worried about that? Have you had to um, contend with those kind of thoughts and feelings, or do you, have you always felt very strong in your convictions of of, of what you're doing? Great question. I, I think that I've always had a, a kind of endemic self confidence that it will always be all right on the night. But the crux of the question, I suppose, around Resilience, it's a, it's a tough one because I think on one hand, some of the, the balance that people are afforded and the support structure that people are afforded today, you might argue can help with resilience. You could also argue it the other way around. And uh, I've certainly been brought up in my career probably in a similar um, set of environments that you have where I have just had to work tremendously hard and and where the shit's hit the fan, it's me that's got to fix it. And I think there does, in today's generation, there needs to be a healthy balance of those things. So, you know, having a, a flexible working environment is, I think, really important. I actually just think, aside from balance, it allows people to take better decisions and it allows people to structure their week better. I mean, I am taking this call today from home 
um, I'll work about four days from the office and one day from home typically in the week. And that one day from home, I'll try to use that to think a bit and read a bit and come up with a clearer view of the world. Um, and also I might see my kids a bit more or be able to take them to school, pick them up in the evening. So there's a bit of balance to it, but also it's just about like being more effective at work for me. So I, I think having that is a really nice thing. And I have always lived by the philosophy that if you have the right people who are motivated in the right way and are driven by the company and a clear set of criteria that will determine whether they're deemed as being successful or not, that they should be should be afforded total flexibility, right? Because if they're motivated in that way, it's fine. They should just want to work. Um, whereas when I started my career, it was you had to be in like if you weren't in at nine a.m., five past nine, you would get shouted at. You know that those days are kind of done. I hope. Um, but at the same time, I I do think that people can be quite quick to give up on things. Um, can be quite quick to um, to cry mental health, maybe when it's not necessarily, it's just kind of natural stress that we all experience. And, and where is that line? I think there's, you know, there's a, a debate around that. I'm not sure what the answer is, right? But there's a, a clear um, difference between intense mental health issues that might require that someone really does need a lot of space versus somebody feeling really quite anxious about something versus someone just having a bad day. Right. And all of that's mental health, but how do you define those things that it's, it's just hyper nuanced, I suppose. Um, and my resilience, I think a lot of it is built on some super tough experiences, but that doesn't mean I'd want my kids to have those super tough experiences. So you're like, where do you sit on that front? It's hard. Social media is an incredible marketing tool for all sorts of different businesses and has been the reason many businesses have launched and succeeded. We've seen sort of Instagram businesses grow um, with that as their, their main channel of acquisition. Do you have a good relationship with social media? And are there things that you thought were going to be the case when you started your business, sort of myths or assumptions that then turned out to actually be completely different? I think the the relationship with social, social media is something I've quite consciously worked on. And by that, I mean, I've realized that to run a business successfully, I, I have to engage with LinkedIn. And therefore, I've chosen to not engage personally with any other channel because I just don't have the mental bandwidth to deal with it for exactly the, the reasons you say. So if I'm going to put up on LinkedIn with everyone celebrating their 100 million pound raises, then I'm not also going to have to look at everyone on holiday in the Caribbean on Instagram. Um, <laughs> so... The unrealistic expectation on how to run a business piece, I, I, I think we might see a bit of a regrounding of that over the next few years um, with the, the business climate, with the investment climate changing in the way that it's changing. Because um, I don't think it's just about unrealism um, or lack of realism. I think it's also fostered a way of building a business that isn't necessarily always the right way of building a business so 
and, and I think this has been a real learning for me, actually. I, I've felt that I've needed to move my business faster than perhaps naturally it should have moved, if I'm totally honest. Um, you know, we did our Series A at the end of last year earlier than perhaps I might have done it, if I'm totally honest, in, in today's climate, just because everyone was raising, there was a lot of capital out there, and I felt if I didn't bring some in, I'd be left behind in a competitive business climate. But one thing I suppose, and this is different to the question, but perhaps vaguely interesting, is we're trying to, just as we're trying to bring delivery back to the high street, we're trying to bottle some of the positive stuff in social media and bring it back to the high street as well. So on the the chef side, we very deliberately pick people that have a lot of activity, engagement, and a significant following on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or various things that I don't fully understand. Um, and it, when we find them, if they, particularly if they don't have a physical site, then we can bring them to life in that physical environment, which we think is a really healthy way of, of leveraging what's been created in that relationship with the consumer and actually making it a bit more human and, and bringing people into an environment where they can properly socialize, not just do it digitally. Um, so that is a kind of fundamental principle of, of what we're trying to do at the moment. What are the most valuable investments that you've made in the business so far? And if relevant, where have you wasted money? I've wasted lots of hyper-relevant, hyper indeed. Um, I guess, God, it's such a startup cliche, but you never waste money, you just, you know, learn. Don't um, be that rubbish. No, no, I, I think we've deliberately laid out a myriad of things to do in order to to try and either prove or disprove a thesis. I, I think the real mistake in that is that doing that in a more traditional business, which we are to a degree, you know, we might or we did perhaps spin ourselves as being a food tech business, but I mean, you know, we still have operations and physical assets and all of that was to come from a, a tech business and think you can apply exactly the same kind of agile formula to things, right? Let's build 10 MVPs and then just see what works. And as things fail, then we'll celebrate the failures and all that stuff that is bullshit. Um, the problem in a physical world is that you're, your losses are much greater and the, the amount of focus and application to get those tests up and running is much greater. And I don't think I properly respected that or fully understood that. And I've learned the hard way, the extent of it. And so I am in the process of one or two things that we've done extricating from them, which is just, it, I mean, A, it's more expensive than it should have been. And B, it's just a pain in the ass and distracts from like, the core areas that we really do need to nail. So there's definitely been a learning around that. I think also I, I am very much a commercial founder versus a product founder or a marketing, you know. So I, the strength of that is I get things done quite effectively. Um, I've got a bias for action. I've been able to raise money. I've been able to do some really good deals. Um, 
But the negative of that is that I like doing deals so much that I do a lot of stuff that isn't core and that I bring it in and think, well, how hard can that be? When already, as you pointed out earlier, we have a complex business. So you want to throw more into that that makes it even more complex. And in my head, I'm like, but it's not really, you know, but then I don't think about all of the, you know, if I'm the kind of swan above water and the team is everything underneath, like I don't even think about that or I haven't thought about that enough. And it's just swallowed up a huge amount of resource when it probably hasn't, that hasn't needed to be the case. So I've learned that and I'm in the process now of, of just being better at it and spending, it's not so much about my time, it's the team's time. Like I don't, I quite like having a seven day week and, you know, I I don't mind, like I actually actively like that. So that's not a problem for me. But what I just have never thought hard enough about is when you do that you're constantly throwing new stuff in that creates a lot of noise that is just unhelpful for the majority of the org that's that's the biggest mistake and a costly one um the biggest success that we've had or the biggest kind of game-changing things it's somewhat binary for us in that we've had you know some big deals on on big bits of real estate that have made a huge difference for us, like the the food hall down in Brighton. I mean, that was a fairly incredible starting platform for our business. It was a deal that we did during COVID. Um, our whole funding for that deal then fell through the floor um, off the back of COVID. And we had to like start again, raise the money from scratch, get that in get the thing open in six weeks between the two lockdowns in the summer of 2020. I mean, that was like, although that wasn't the full thing with the full team, it was a really small team. It was lean. It was scrappy. It was any money I could find. It was just get the thing up and running. Um, that's hands down the thing I'm most proud of in the business. I mean, that was just pure bloody minded belligerence i was like there is no way i'm not going to do this so whatever it takes i'll find a way um and you know that was it was kind of fun but at the same time that was pretty stressful i think there's also like a kind of sick reality of an entrepreneur where there's this like weird indulgence and glint in the eye about the carpet being ripped from under your feet there's this sort of like it's get it's game time and like it's sort of you know, inevitably, because some of those things really do feel touch and go. Well, exactly. But there is, you know, if if you do it, I suppose you do it in part because you like, I mean, why are you an entrepreneur? You do it, A, because you like to be autonomous and be doing your own thing. B, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for myself here, not necessarily for you, but B, in part because the jeopardy is thrilling, right? It's exciting. It's, you're always close to the wire on things. And I guess, you know, when I left Deliveroo, though I wasn't an entrepreneur there, I always felt that. And then I felt it a bit less and less towards the end. And then I was like ready to get back to feeling like I was going to die every day. Um, so, you know, there's some of that about COVID that made it uh, intense, but sometimes kind of exciting time in a strange way. Where I look at that now and the the drive and the passion that I get from some of those people that came through that first bit with me. Um, it's just incredible, right? I mean, that's 
I think, more valuable than a lot of the other stuff you could get bringing someone else in. You need to blend, but working to make sure that you develop the earlier stage people, I think, is is not only important, but I think it's the right thing to do too. You know, you feel good about that, seeing those people get better and be able to step up. Um, just a couple more questions. I know we're over time, but um, how do you define success? For our business or for me individually, I guess, maybe slightly different. The, the definition of success for the business is we want to change the way that restaurants start and then build. So to be more specific around that, I don't necessarily want to be the sole business that does that, but I want to change the model for how it's done. So that's, we think, quite a a bold mission um it's not just what can we do but it's how we can affect the entire market like we want a more um a meritocratic industry is probably a better way of putting it because you can't really use the word democratic anymore shoot me in the head but meritocratic in that you know i want people that have great concepts to come through based on the quality of them not on access to capital or um entrenched covenants with landlords or whatever it might be um for me personal success i think is is to achieve, you know, financially, don't get me wrong, I want to make some decent money out of this. I was fortunate to, to do reasonably well out of Deliveroo. So that's not really the primary motivator for me. Um, and actually, I've put quite a lot of personal money into this business where, you know, maybe five, six years ago, I wouldn't have taken that level of risk. It's more about being able to, to have that kind of impact. And that impact... You know, I'd love to say I'm totally altruistic and it's all about giving back and blah, blah, blah. It's not just that, you know, there is, you know, in part a personal motivation to to get recognition from doing that. Um, so that does drive me a bit, which again plays into perhaps some of the, the social media thing and seeing other people's success, which is great to see, especially when they're people you've worked with, but equally it is the driving force towards, okay, well, equally, I want to step up and deliver at this kind of level. So the podcast is called The Busyness Podcast. With that in mind, productivity can be quite a challenging thing. There's only so many hours in the day. If you had an extra hour every day, what would you use it for? Um, I would use it to read, but not read business journals and business books, but actually like read a novel. <laughs> um, I just think it's good for maybe accessing another side of your brain and driving a bit of creativity and also getting perspective on things that you don't get from you know, your regular day-to-day or from reading the regular business stuff. Um, and I just literally don't do that at all. And that I think is I've kind of got into this stage in my life where or stage in the business where if it doesn't have a direct output, I'm not going to do it. And I don't really like that. You know, I I'm a art student. I've only studied art subjects and then did history at university. And, and yet and there's a lot in like history that's applicable. But I don't you know, all of that. I'd look at it and be like, right, well. I've got some time now I can rewrite a business plan or I can do, you know, read this thing over here to learn about how the market's moved or whatever versus saying, well, actually I could learn something, but 
something that doesn't have as direct an impact by reading a book. So that would be a nice thing to to do ever. But yeah, I don't. And if I'm on holiday with three kids, you don't get time to, to sit and read a book. <laughs> Forget <I don't>. it. <laughs> um, so what's next? What can we expect to see from the business in the next six, six plus months? You mentioned you've got a, a site opening in Islington next week, but what can we expect to see? More of more of that. When I say more of that, I don't necessarily mean more of that restaurant format, but more of us in engaging with founders, finding a route to plugging those founders and, and cool and interesting brands into different types of ubiquitous formats that you see all around you every day. Um, so we have something exciting with a, a pub that we've launched in um, Kensal, uh, Kensal, in Kensish Town, called the Abbey Tavern, which is up and running now. Um, we have something with a really cool um, private members club and co-working space in uh, Farrington, um, which we're hoping to launch soon. We have something with a very small format delivery kitchen in Stoke Newington for one of our brands. So more and more of us trying to get to grips with how to make these concepts that we work with more and more available to customers, which is kind of at the crux of what we're trying to do. Um, exactly how we do that and where we do that is uh, a question still for me, let alone for everyone else. <laughs> well, I have no doubt that we'll we'll keep seeing you and uh, in various forms of media, obviously LinkedIn, you'll be sharing all those highlights. I can't wait to see. Um, I'm so grateful about how open and candid you've been. I think the things that you've shared will help lots of different people at all different stages of their business journey so thank you for making the time and thank you for sharing what you've learned with me and with with the listeners 